Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. And the Oscar goes to Ghostface. Man, don't let anybody ever tell you that cancel culture is real. Ghostface just won an Oscar. <laughs> I'm Mike Smith, and joining me, as always, is a man representing with a Michelle Yeoh t-shirt. That's right, Mike DeCrucio. How's you today, Mike? I'm doing great. I got my girls on top at slash letterboxed uh, co- collab uh, Michelle Yeoh t-shirt. So there it is. Go go find them on Twitter and buy your own copy. Yes. Copy? Your own t-shirt. <laughs> Um, I don't know what happened there, but yeah, buy your own t-shirt. It says Michelle Yeoh on it. It's pretty cool. And they have a bunch of other ones. I forget. Can't remember off the top of my head, but you know, like Kelly Reichardt and uh, you know, right. Deborah Hill, you know, stuff like that. It's pretty, pretty neat. A whole, a whole store of uh, cinema, cinema ladies, cinema, cinema women. Yes, exactly. And of course the reason you're wearing the shirt is because a, we recorded our Michelle Yeoh podcast uh, right before this one. Uh, but also we are recording this episode the day after uh, the Oscars. That's right. Yes. The, the shirt has uh, the good Oscars juju on it so i will continue to wear it uh <laughs> until morale improves yeah basically yes, exactly so yeah i was excited that it came uh, right before the like, a couple days before the oscars and then i got a chance to wear it you know it's like putting on your your favorite team's jersey you got to watch everything got to wear it while the game's on you know kind of deal um yeah so it was very exciting and it worked michelle yo michelle yo won yeah i was also wearing my michelle yo t-shirt and so i think the uh, the <laughs> The collective energy between the both of us uh, helped us propel that into victory. Uh, so that was very exciting. But uh, yeah, the uh, Academy Awards were airing last night as of this recording. And the plan was for us to do an episode uh, talking about the Oscars here and then also talking about a few other things. Um, however, the plan has changed. The plan yeah. has been altered in some way. The reason being, uh, you know, in addition to watching the Oscars, uh, Mike D was supposed to watch a movie for the Michelle Yeoh podcast this week. <laughs> Uh, and failed to do so. <laughs> Look, sometimes you just forget stuff. <laughs> I don't even have an, an excuse other than I was like, Oscars, check. A couple things for Mike and Mike, check. Yep. There was nothing else on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so as a result, Mike did not watch the movie Far North. Uh, instead, he'll be watching that next week. And so we kind of shifted our Oscar conversation to be our, a bonus Michelle Yeoh episode. And so we're talk, we talk about Michelle Yeoh winning the award. We talk about everything ever all at once, you know, winning seven out of the 11 nominations that it got. And, uh, you know, just our general thoughts on the ceremony. It's a solid, like, 45-minute discussion. And, uh, yeah, there's some Oscar thoughts there for you. Yeah, that'll be out next week. <laughs> Monday, yeah. right? The, a little less timely i guess but yeah it'll be it'll, it'll be, be out. out yeah it'll be out on monday uh, after this episode so uh yeah look forward to that we have thoughts about the oscars and michelle yo winning and all that kind of stuff and what it means for representation and everything everything ever all at once it's very cool that it won all these awards yeah also we talk about the nazi nazi so so there's that too you're welcome <laughs> But yeah, so we're not really going to dig into the Oscars in this episode of the podcast like we traditionally do. We'll save that for the Michelle Yeoh pod. Uh, So instead, we're doing some sort of general discussions with a major focus on two big things that happened this weekend. That's right. Uh, One of which is Scream 6. 
which, uh, you know, we recently did our Scream's Respective episode with Laura Culinary. And so we've got thoughts about the newest Scream movie that just came out. And also The Last of Us, uh, which just aired its season finale uh, over the weekend as well during the Oscars. Yeah, tragic, honestly. Um, <laughs> there's even a pretty funny joke, I thought, uh, when Pedro Pascal presented, I forget what he presented, and um, Jimmy Kimmel was like, and a man that most of America is watching right now on either HBO Max or Disney Plus. Um, right. Uh, so that's pretty funny that they, you know, he knew. They know. Good for him, yeah, you know? They know. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Pedro Pascal killing it right now. It's, it's two two major hit shows and like two major franchises. It's pretty solid. Pretty solid yeah. stuff. He's going to be okay, I think. I think so, too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll be talking about Scream 6. We'll be talking about The Last of Us. And then I've got a few other things that I wanted to kind of throw out there for a general discussion. Although, Mike, I don't think you've watched anything else, right? <laughs> no, like I said, I checked off a couple things for Mike and Mike. The Oscars is going to be 45 minutes easy. I don't need to watch much more. Uh, <laughs> and then the list ended and I forgot about the Michelle Yeoh movie. So that really <laughs> threw off our whole rhythm for both shows this week. So yes. You're welcome. <laughs> there it is. Uh, all right. So uh, we're going to get into it. Uh, first, going to tell you that all the theme songs that you're going to hear this episode uh, were created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own theme songs at Kyle's Podcast Themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Mac V, whose art you can find at Fearless Guard on Twitter. If you ever want to contact us or something we did in the show, uh, you can tweet at us at Mike and Mike Pod. And now let's get into some discussions. Watch this. All right, it's time for some discussions here on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. And Mike, which one would you like to talk about first, Scream 6 or The Last of Us? Both of which have been like, you know, things we've been building towards in the podcast, sort of. Yeah, um, um, let's do Last of Us first, I guess. Okay, yeah, so uh, The Last of Us, uh, which of course is the HBO series adaptation of the uh, Naughty Dog video game from 2013, it recently aired its season finale uh, last night, actually, uh, as of this recording. Uh, and Mike and I have both played the game. We've talked about the show quite a bit on this podcast since it began. Uh, yes. I've, and I'm not sure that I like didn't expect much from it, but it wasn't something I was like, you know, actively looking forward to. It was more just like, oh, cool. They're making a Last of Us show like that's neat. And, I, and to be fair, I had not watched Chernobyl, so I wasn't really familiar with Craig Mazin outside of his work on The Hangover franchise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mythic Quest. Oh, yeah. And, and Mythic Quest. He's a, he is involved with that show a little bit as well. So so I hadn't watched Chernobyl. I was looking forward to The Last of Us. Um, I knew that Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey had been cast. And when they were cast, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I, uh, like, I wasn't, like, uh, you know, over the top about their casting. I was like, I'm sure they'll do a decent job. And then I, as soon as the show started, I was like, this is Joel and Ellie. This is, like, <laughs> I, I can't believe how perfectly they cast these characters. This is great. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've been pretty into the show and really into how it expanded on certain things in the game while also being pretty slavishly faithful to the game at other times. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, uh, the finale aired last night. Mike, I think you feel pretty similarly about the entire season, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was definitely something the games are very important. Not important to me. That seems like giving them much more weight. But they're some of my favorite things, some of my favorite games that I've played and just like stories I've experienced, you know? Yeah. Um, so you're like, oh, man, what could video game historically adaptations? I don't know about this. What could that be? But then, you know, you hear like Neil Druckmann, who is the director of the games, is directing literally directing and writing a couple episodes and is involved and you're like okay maybe i feel pretty confident i think and then yeah the same same like kind of arc as you where it's like oh yeah they it's the game they got it they figured they it got out it. like as soon as the first <laughs> episode starts 
Uh, basically, it was as soon as the sequence in the first episode where it's Joel, Tommy, and Sarah like in the pickup truck racing out of town during the outbreak. And I yeah. was like, oh, this is just like a shot-for-shot recreation of this moment in the video game. I'm in, which is a wild thing to experience, uh, you know, like that kind of feeling. So, yeah, I've been really enjoying the show. I think it's been interesting to discuss it with some people. I don't know if I've, like, loved it. Like, you know, like, I don't know if this is, like, a kind of life-changing thing, maybe because I've experienced this story already once, you know? Right. But I think it's a really good show, and I've been really enjoying it and been I've been having a lot of fun watching it alongside people that, like, have not played the game, uh, so they don't really know what's going on or what's coming, rather. So they're, like, I think you've mentioned this before, that feeling like, oh, this must have been what the Game of Thrones people <laughs> that read the books yeah. felt like. We're like, oh, this is, guys, this person's your favorite character? Hoo-hoo. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> we'll see how long they last, uh, yes. you know, or, or whatever. Um, yeah, but even that, I think, is, like, a little bit different just because, you know, a book-to-film translation is different than a video game-to-film translation, yeah. if that makes sense. Like, like I've already seen this stuff in motion visually. Like I like I know exactly how this looks and sounds. Like I've already had like a yeah. an audio visual experience with this story. And now we're doing it again. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> and now it's just with like live action actors as opposed to, you know, video game graphics. And it's it makes for a very weird experience, I think, if you've played the games. Uh, and if you haven't, I'm sure it just it feels like a normal TV show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I saw I saw one person, I don't remember exactly who it was, say something along the lines of like, you know, it feels like watching actors, uh, and this was like a, a criticism, I think, um, it feels like actors acting out video game cutscenes, which like, yeah, fair, but like also, why is that a bad thing necessarily? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't and know. if they were going to act out any video game cutscenes, The Last of Us would be the one. Right? Would be That's the one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I also saw a couple. Some of my friends we were talking about like the lack of infected throughout the show. Generally, after the first half of this se- season, uh, they sure. kind of disappear from the story, which uh, I think from, is also kind of the game too. That's sort, sort of, of there, but you know, the infected in the game are there so you could unrepentantly murder a lot of people in an action video game. That's true, yes. You know, so like, uh, they're kind of just cannon fodder at a certain point. So, you know, it's more about the character, the humans and the story and all that stuff and the relationships. So that's what takes the front seat in the show and the infected basically disappear after episode like four or five or whatever it was. Right, Um, there's, yeah, the episode I think where they, they're in Kansas City, I think, right? The, The Melanie Linsky stuff, right? And that's, there's the big kind of, you know, infected stampede mm-hmm. uh in that one and then after that yeah they're pretty much gone i don't i i don't think there's another episode with an infected in it yeah or i don't think so either other than uh the left behind episode with the flashback um, oh yeah yeah that yeah that too yeah but not, not not to the same scale at least like that's no. definitely the one where it's like oh this one has the most you know these are all these different things from the game all that kind of stuff. yeah absolutely um yeah i don't know i mean i that didn't really bother me i don't i don't that feels like a we an interesting thing to like be like where are the infected i mean i guess it's the zombie show, quote unquote. So like, where are the zombies? I don't know. Um, right. But it, it's been interesting um, t- throughout the whole season to feel, to watch what things are cut or adapted or t- changed a little bit uh, to fit the show. And then, like you said, the stuff that is just shot for shot dialogue line for line from the game. So I can't imagine what that process must have been like with uh, for Mason and Druckmann to like sit there and be like, okay, they've got tendrils in their mouths now, you know, like, yeah. like just the, all the stuff they've had to change. Uh, yeah. And then there's like small changes that I think do affect the, uh, the show. I think the, one of the, uh, the big things is the Henry and Sam, when they show up, uh, right. you know, they change Sam into a deaf kid and uh, they kind of, that 
alters his relationship with Henry and it kind of changes how that character interacts with uh, Joel and Ellie and the world around him. And yeah. I think that was like a really positive, like really effective change on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that was some of the best episodes, I think, were that those Kansas City episodes. Um, and it's been pretty cool too. Like to be like, oh, that's Troy Baker. Oh, it's Ashley Johnson. Oh, that uh, you know all the people from the voice cast of the video game. And the, I forget her name, unfortunately, but like that, what she was Marlene in the video game, and she's Marlene oh, she's in the show. Playing Marlene now, yeah, Merle yeah. Dandridge, I think is her name. Yes, yeah, she's amazing. She's really great. So that's been cool and stuff like that. Um, which you know, Ashley Johnson, I guess to talk about the specific uh, finale uh, episode without you know sto- story spoiler stuff. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I think yeah. Let's just say spoilers. spoilers go into spoilers. Go into spoilers to The Last of Us. If you're if you're listening and you haven't watched The Last of Us, jump ahead or watch The Last of Us and then come back. And then come back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That, that was interesting. I, I mean, I, it was cool. That's Ashley Johnson that she was there. Uh, you know that they included her and stuff. And I'm a big fan of hers. But like that whole explaining why Ellie's immune stuff uh, was interesting choice, I think, because that's yeah. not in the game at all. No, yeah. And when I was watching the finale, uh, so I was shocked when I went to go watch the finale and saw that the runtime was 45 minutes. That's um, crazy. I, w- I was like genuinely like, I-, I can't believe how short this is. And I was already like a little bit on like by the, by the time we got to the end of episode eight, I was like, I feel like there's still a lot of stuff to get through for the show. Uh, and so to, to that end, I do feel like maybe it feels a little bit rushed. Um, but only in comparison to like having to play through the game. And so it feels like it takes longer maybe. Yeah. You know, I I didn't look, I didn't look up like a game guide or whatever, but I definitely feel like there's the stuff in episode eight with like the, the town and the cannibals and all that. Yeah. And then we're at the hospital, like in my memory, that's just what's going like. Yeah. I think that is how the game works, but like, because you're playing through it, it takes longer. Yeah. Like like episode eight, you know, you watch in like, you know, a 55 minute span or whatever. And then, but if you want, if you're playing the game, it takes probably like three to four hours to get through all that stuff, you know? Uh, And so it just, it feels a little bit different and you feel like maybe you're spending more time with the characters in the game but so as a result like when when episode nine started and i was like this is 45 minutes long and the first like 10 to 15 minutes are just this prologue about ellie's mother yeah <laughs> and i was like what are they even gonna finish the game are they, <laughs> like, even are gonna, they gonna finish there? it <laughs> Uh, and then they did, and I think it was. I think it worked. It was solid. Um, but yeah, I was I was surprised at how long the prologue took and like how short the episode actually was. But I did like that prologue. Uh, you know, yeah. it's one of those things where I I don't think we necessarily like needed a reason for why Ellie is immune. You know, I don't think that like needed to be explained. But just in in terms of like giving it like an effective an effective reason and like having Ashley Johnson be there and uh, her performance is very good and all that kind of stuff and kind of get, get shedding a little bit more light on Ellie's backstory uh, is was was good I thought yeah and that she's sort of like an aunt to Ellie uh, Marlene rather is like an aunt to Ellie like they was best friends with her mom and like agreed to yeah. take Ellie in as a baby and stuff yeah which they allude to in the game but they don't really kind of go into that I don't think oh do they I don't even really remember I just remember that she like Marlene like sort of like overseas not uh overseas like watches over ellie but i don't remember exactly yeah i i think they i'm not sure if they allude to her relationship with her mom at all but i i think there is like um like you can look through ellie's stuff at one point early on in the first game and there's like a letter from her mom that's like left there to her and oh, okay. you know all, all that kind of tells you more about that I, yeah. a, a lot of the stuff that's like expanded on in the show is stuff that's like letters that are like in the game as easter eggs like the bill the bill and frank stuff right, right. yeah the video game bullshit that you can like pick up a 
piece of paper and it'll tell you the story that they didn't have time to make a game <laughs> make into the game. Right. And and you know, there are so many games where so where all that stuff is just like ah, extra whatever. But in The Last of Us, it, it, it they do often like tell a story as like like you can pick up multiple letters like that will like kind of tell you like a full story if you like yeah. pick up all the letters kind of thing. And that's always kind of neat. That's fun. I like that. Yeah, video games are cool. Um <laughs> Which is neat. Um, what else is there about this show? The last episode here. I thought the action and all that stuff was really like when Joel goes Terminator. Like, yeah, it it brought me back to that feeling of just like you know the way video games can uh, because you've spent all these hours with them, they can get you into the headspace of the characters and all that. And in that moment, you don't really have a choice in like narratively in the game. Like this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, which is very interesting. We were actually talking about that in the Discord, uh, my friends and I, about when when Last of Us 1 came out, that was kind of in the era of video games that was all about like open-ended, car- uh, player-driven choice. And yes. like, could you imagine if there was an option at the end of this to not go through this story the way it ends, where like Joel walks away or whatever? Or right. like a pacifist version or something like that, like because a lot of games had that at the time. Right. Yeah, you're right. And Last of Us is like, no, you, Joel is making this choice. You don't really get a choice. But, yeah, but you but you have to kind of get in his headspace and be part of this because you're controlling him. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say, that the, the game is so effective of, at, uh, the story is so effective at getting you there that you're like, yes. Like you fully, I f- remember fully agreeing with Joel and being like, everyone in this hospital dies. <laughs> um, yes. And I, and I was telling somebody about that because one of the most fascinating things about the end of The Last of Us, the game. <laughs> I was going to bring is, this up also. <laughs> yeah, is that, uh, you know, you don't have to kill the doctor. Right. Right. The, the doctor's in the room. They're like, okay, yeah, just, just go. But And almost everybody does. Like, almost everybody kills the doctors just because you can. Yeah. Uh, and uh, because I, I think because you think you have to. Right. Uh, I, think like you, be- I think you have to kill one. Like, it's a cutscene where, like, one of them grabs a scalpel and charges Joel and he kills that one. Yeah. But then you regain control of Joel and all the other doctors have their hands up and of course i just immediately was like right trigger right trigger right trigger. <laughs> like, just, right yeah like and everybody is like that yeah uh and and so that's that's always been the fascinating thing about it and i think that's like that like kernel like that bit is almost like the informing thing behind the last of us part two right where the whole the whole thing is about like implicating the player and the character's revenge and all that kind of stuff and so to watch to watch that in the show and like see joel kill that first doctor is like hmm, man but he doesn't kill his other two in the show he yeah doesn't- he doesn't kill the other ones yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's like oh he made the decision that no player has made yeah <laughs> Very. In- I remember like not even thinking that it would be possible. Like not even knowing that that was an option. Never even conceived. Yeah, it. that's the thing. I, it, it, like you're so clouded by like Joel's uh, mindset. I yeah. think when you're playing the game that uh, you you automatically assume well these guys have to die also. And you shoot. Them. <laughs> Right. Um, and then it was like while like you know a couple months or weeks later on Reddit reading a thread about it, and somebody's like, "Yeah, you know, you don't have to kill those doctors." Like what? Like falling out of my chair. Um, well, now I feel bad. Yeah. Wait a second. Um, which is crazy. And then um, yeah, it's still and still the show absolutely nailing that final exchange between Joel and Ellie, where she asks him to swear that he told her the truth, uh, and he says that he did, and she just says okay and cut to yeah. black and it's just like holy fuck like it's still still got me the way it did in the video game which is yeah. uh you know you know i think a testament to pedro pascal and bella ramsey's performance and their chemistry and all that that they really like we said at the beginning they really nailed this these characters in this story because damn 
Yeah, absolutely. And I was talking to somebody who uh, has not played the games that watches the show and was pretty into it. Uh, and she was also like, she she was like on Jules' side. Like she felt like she was like part of it and like she was sort of on Jules' side, but you know, feeling te- like feeling bad. And she was like so devastated by the ending and by like, Jules lying to you. Like what? You, like, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And so, yeah, it, it works. It, it it works no matter the medium. And I think because it was so faithfully translated, like it's cool that like, you know, we, we played the game and I think, you know, ultimately I still prefer the game but it's cool that like this story is out there for people who like don't play video games and right. they can actually enjoy it as like a TV show. Yeah, I've been trying to get my mom to watch it because she keeps asking me, like, oh, you're like, have you been watching this show? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my favorite video games, all this stuff. And she's like, yeah, I keep like seeing and reading about it. And I like, it's like, it sounds really good. And I'm like, you should watch it. You yeah. Should check it out. I know it's you're really uh, 65, but you might be, you might be into it. Like, check yeah. it out. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's been like a crossover hit. Like, it's, an, it's been a huge show for HBO. Yeah. Uh, I believe, I, I think I saw the ratings like are, are going to surpass House of the Dragon. Wow. Um, which is a, Game of Thrones spinoff. Like, that's why. <laughs> I think that is crazy, one. And two, really speaks to what season eight of Game of Thrones did to the brand of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Which is a shame, because House of the Dragon rules, and people should watch it. Uh, did you ever finish it? I didn't, no. That's what I was just about to say, that, like, I watched, like, you know, four episodes or whatever, and was, like, into it. Uh, and then I missed one, and then I was just like, I'll get to it. And then now it's just like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. You should watch it. Now that Last of Us is over, you don't have a Sunday show anymore. You can just I, yeah, true. Schedule, schedule it out on Sundays and watch House of the Dragon. I know. I saw uh, somebody talking about, because um, I guess Barry starts soon, and that is it the does. final season of Barry ends in Bar- June or Barry- yeah, Barry and Succession are both ending, um, which I'm bummed about because I like uh, both the shows. Yeah, and I saw somebody, it's, people were tweeting, and somebody was like, you know, is it just going to be dead air on HBO after June? <laughs> like, what the fuck are they going to have left? Um, which is crazy. So it's going to yeah. be House Flippers or whatever. Uh, <laughs> whatever can, Zaslav is wanting to yeah. <laughs> get on there. Uh, yeah, I mean, Last of Us has been renewed for season two, so they are going to bring this back uh, at some point, which will presumably be The Last of Us Part Two. And yeah, really curious how that game is going to work translated into television and uh, if they're going to have to do multiple seasons for that. I think they said that they probably would. And yeah, just really curious how that's going to work. Uh, I think I think people who don't play the games are going to get real upset about that. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, and people who did play the games were really upset when it first came out, woof. you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking about that recently. It was like, there's so much non-linear stuff in last of us two mm. like not even like the main story of the game is like a loop kind of thing um yeah. but then also there's lots of flashbacks and stuff it's like so it's like bella ramsey gonna be around still because there's lots of young ellie flashbacks uh, true. and like what if they tell it linearly and fuck everything up like what are they gonna do like <laughs> yeah, it's just like right. it becomes Last of Us Two is so much like more experimental storytelling than The Last of Us One. So I don't know what I'm interested to see how they adapt it in three years or however long it'll take them to make. Yeah, this season. I feel like it's I feel like it's going to be a while before yeah. season two comes out. You know exactly. <laughs> But yeah, The Last of Us season one. Uh, also, uh, I wanted to quickly mention that uh, one of the nurses in the episode is Laura Bailey, who played Abby in Last of Us Part Two. Oh, no way. Yeah. How did I not yeah. notice that? Yeah. I, I, well, she's wearing a mask. She's wearing like the surgical gloves. Okay. She's, you know, it's, it's more just a quick cameo. But I, I guess she actually also played one of the nurses in the game, uh, in the first game, and then and then later got cast as Abby. That um, makes sense. So, yeah, but I, I do think it's kind of cool to, like, have her in that scene because obviously that, like, the fact that Joel kills the doctor is a pretty instrumental part of The Last of Us Part 2. Mm, interesting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that is cool, yeah. I didn't even think of that. I just kind of assumed it was, like, the, uh, I, well, one, I didn't notice that Laura Bailey was in there, but um, just, right. like, the voice actor connection because they're all, you know, Ashley Johnson, 
it was I was on Critical Role with Laura Bailey, and uh, you know it's right. all it's all happening. Uh, that's pretty cool. That's neat. And yes. um, I'm excited for for season two, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really I'm really looking forward to see if they can pull that one off. Uh, it'll be pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, there and there were so many ties to the game throughout the show, which uh, was pretty cool. So they, you had Ashley Johnson uh, as Ellie's mother. You had Troy Baker in the last episode as one of the um one of the preachers, like henchman kind of yeah, guys. Hey, the he's the guy who gets yeah guy guy who gets like attacked like it, like Ellie attacks him and like kills him right. Yeah, he gets the uh, cleaver in the neck towards the yes. end. That's the one, uh, which was pretty cool. Uh, and to the guy who played Tommy uh, shows up is, as one of uh, Manly Lindsay's guys, right? And, mm-hmm. of course, Marlene is playing Marlene in the show. And so all that stuff was just is neat Easter eggs for video game fans. But, like, the mo- the show totally stands on its own. Like, you don't need to have played the game in order to enjoy it. No, yeah, not at all. Was Tess anywhere? Oh, no, she just died, right? Right before? Oh, oh actually, yeah, the actress who played Tess in the game, I believe, did pass away, like, right when the show started. Like, yeah, I think so, yeah. Around that time, yeah. So I, I don't think she's in the show at all. I mean, she like it's possible she could have been like you know featured in at some point because uh, she could have filmed it, but I, I don't think she was. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Which sucks. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's in, in a very impressive adaptation that I think walks that fine line between being very faithful to the source material, but also changing the stuff for the better for the different medium. So I'm excited. I, I you know got faith, uh, but I remember watching episode one and it gets to the you know HBO inside the episode, you know, the end of the stuff at the. Yeah. Or the stuff at the end of the episode and Craig Mazin shows up and I'm like, that fucking guy? Like, cause I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know who he was, like what he looked like. Yeah. Uh, I did not know that was him on Mythic Quest. Right. Uh, and it's just like this goofball, uh, is <laughs> this guy, uh, which is crazy because his character on Mythic Quest is just like the fucking worst. Uh, right. As like the sexist guy that gets brought in mm-hmm. to, to oversee the QA team or whatever, or the testers. Yeah. He uh, becomes like the new tester there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty funny. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Somehow the, the hangover sequel guy became the king of, uh, like prestige HBO drama. <laughs> yeah. Dark <laughs> HBO dramas. Yep. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, yeah, the last of us, I think we're both pretty satisfied with, uh, the entire season of the show. Uh, it is really cool to see like a video game adapted in this way. And, uh, you know, the last of us was the perfect game to do it, but yeah, absolutely. So, uh, that's the last of us, uh, which the finale just aired. And then we should talk about, uh, the, the major release this week, Mike, the, yes. the movie that, uh, we saw this week. The one that started it all. No, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. The, <laughs> the other big movie. Scream yes. Six? Uh, Scream yeah. six. We did Scream it. Scream six. Yes. So, uh, a couple weeks ago we did our screams perspective, uh, with Laura Culinary, where we talked about, uh, all of the scream movies and the scream TV show, uh, which we haven't seen, but Laura did. Yeah, that's right. And so we, we get let out our scream thoughts. We kind of put it out all out there. And I think we were both in agreement. Like we kind of like all the movies in this franchise. Like we're pretty into it all. We both really liked scream five and thought that was like a really good continuation of it. And kind of like a, a good legacy sequel that could you know, set things up for new things down the line. And of course, Scream 6 is something we were looking forward to. So what did you think of this movie, Mike? I think Scream 6 is really fun. I'm going to have to watch it, you know, like one or two more times once it's available to stream before I will like say where it's in my ranking, you know, uh, which changes sure. every time I watch the movies. I'm like, but actually Scream 4 though, you know, or yeah. whatever. So, you know, just let that question go away. But uh, overall, yeah, I had a really fun time with it. I think it's very violent. More than I remember the other, I mean, I watched them a month ago but uh, more than the other movies. Um, but I guess keeping in line with Scream 5 had a lot more gore than 
the previous four, and I feel like this one, same team, you know, makes sense. The Radio Silence guys, right? Uh, keep that up. I think the uh, extended cast is real fun in this one. Uh, outside the core four, which is the, probably the greatest thing they've ever added to this franchise, <laughs> um, just the, the phrase core four. Yeah, it's just the concept of the core four, uh, which I mean, I guess they had already. <laughs> yeah, the they other... already kind of had like at least a core three for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So. That's fun. Um, I think the twisty turny stuff is is pretty good in this one too. All the murder mystery I liked. I liked how in the first act it kind of like draws the connection to like the Giallo stuff where it's sort of like, you know, the thing that's separate because that one character is like, right, she gave me a C on my Giallo paper or whatever, <laughs> yes. uh, which is pretty funny. But the thing that separates, you know, Giallos from like slashers is that Giallos are murder mysteries. They're usually about a reporter or a detective trying to catch a serial killer rather than Michael Myers murdering a house you know or babysitters or whatever you know it's usually right. more of a mystery movie which is fun to draw that connection to to scream because that's the thing we talked about in the scream perspective is that part of the fun of all these movies is that they're whodunits uh which is cool and i think the whodunits in this movie the whodunit aspect is pretty good in this one it's definitely one of those like oh yeah like duh <laughs> you told me this is what it was gonna be um yep which is pretty fun. I think uh, Courtney Cox is real fun in this uh, for when she's back. Uh, Hayden Panettiere is fun. Although just like maybe Botox to hell that it's like, please emote. Please make an emotion on your face. Sure, uh, yeah. I, th- I, th- I would say that for both of them. But yeah. Both of them for sure, <laughs> yeah. but Courtney Cox less so, uh, which is interesting. But yeah, that, that whole connection is fun. That whole, um, the thing that we talked about a lot in the Scream's perspective is that the, the kind of recurring cast and, and the kind of uh, like fanatical dedication to continuity and all that stuff where it's like yeah we're six movie we're six installments into the story we can start having characters just like throw references to other movies and do the whole thing the shared universe thing or whatever at this point um which is kind of what ultimately this movie attempts to skewer maybe not the shared universe stuff but the franchise you know uh, yeah yeah this movie is very much about like the legacy of scream uh you know the the conceit is that you know ghostface is out there once again uh he has followed these characters to new york or, you know some somebody is out somebody's just ghost face and the main character uh, melissa barrera as sam carpenter um P- there are theories out there that she was the actual ghost face right right that uh you know the internet has kind of taken by storm and now like everybody hates her and all that kind of stuff but every time ghost face attacks uh he leaves behind a mask and it's the mask of like whoever was the previous ghost face right um and so like the first time he, yeah the first thing it's like oh here's like jack quaid's mask from scream five it's like oh here's a uh, you know Emma Roberts' mask from Scream 4, and it just kind of keeps going back and forth, uh, like back and back to the beginning, right, yeah. where it all started. And yeah, I, I had a very good time with Scream 6. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I don't think I liked it as much as Scream 5. Okay. Um, but uh, but I did have a really good time with it. I think my main complaint is that not enough people are dying in these movies, in Scream 5 and 6 uh, hmm, specifically. Yeah. I, th- I think both of these movies have had a real tendency to uh, – bring characters from back from the dead who like should just just be dead (laughs) right right and you know well i think we'll go into spoilers in a minute but that was like a thing at the end of this movie i was like that guy's still alive come on yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh so so yeah there was that but i I think uh overall i i did enjoy it i thought a lot of the uh the set pieces were really fun they seem the ladder is like really good yeah the uh the opening scene with uh, samara weaving is really fun and yeah i think just uh scream is a really fun series and this movie is also fun so there's that yeah yeah i do sort of agree a little bit with uh i think it was matt singer his review was that you know scream kind of originated as a sort of skewering of the of the slasher formula and you know poking making the 
self-awareness thing and all that stuff. You know, never yeah. say, I'll be right back, blah, blah, blah. But now here we are six movies in, and now Scream has its own rules that the movies can't break. Um, and like, <laughs> it's not really examining enough in his, in his, in uh, Matt Singer's opinion, uh, that and like breaking the rules to examine its own, its own self. Um, and I sort of agree with that in a little bit. I, I definitely felt where like, okay, do we really need, and rule number one is like, do we need this scene now? You know, at this point, um, yeah, it, it felt very like perfunctory when they were like, all right, here are the rules to the franchise. You know, right. this is like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. Like we've done this many times. It's a screen I, movie. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So that's it. So that's like, you know, an interesting uh, lens to view this movie through. But ultimately, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. And my crowd was, I was 6 p.m. on a Friday. I figured it would be empty. Uh, yeah. Because it's six o'clock. But it was packed. Really? And it was mostly teenagers, which I don't know how they got in because I got carded, like, which I've never <laughs> happened to me before. Because um, obviously. But not even when you, not even when you were a teenager. You- <laughs> yeah. Like what? Other than that time I got kicked out of whatever movie and we had to go see that uh, Jackie Chan Forbidden Kingdom movie. That was pretty which, fun. Which you, which you talked about on the Complete Works a couple weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, but maybe yeah, they were so- like, you're, you're too old to be going to see Scream 6 by yourself. And <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, let me see your ID. Uh, I was like, all right, man. Um, but that's the say uh they were losing their minds it was so man. much fun yeah so i was like oh man. like i kept thinking that i was like oh this is like the crowd at the beginning of scream 2 where it's like people are okay. cheering and like ah the popcorn and like doing the whole thing and screaming at the you're like don't you fucking don't answer the phone like all that kind of shit uh so i like at the very beginning i was like oh no this is gonna be annoying <laughs> this might this is gonna suck uh, but like five minutes into it, I was kind of like, actually, this is who this movie is for, <laughs> um, you know, right. uh, and we was kind of just like all in on it and, uh, we were all screaming and hollering and stuff. So it was a fun time. It was like, man, this is a blast. Uh, I, but back in the movies in a big way for the spring, like I was last year and we'll see how long this lasts. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was March 22, when I went and saw movies four, four or five weeks in a row. <laughs> right. It was like everything everywhere. The Northman, right. That yeah, kind of stuff. Top Gun every, uh, you know, all the way out till the beginning of summer. And then I was like, ah, fuck this. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll see how long this lasts, but um, this was a lot of fun. That that added a whole nother level to it. Uh, that was you know a good a good time on top of the fun violent movie. You know, nice. I'm glad you had a great experience because uh, my theater was empty. <laughs> I mean, was, I probably would have loved that too. Uh, but sure, yeah. I mean, I, I had a good time watching the movie regardless. My my theater was like it was like me and my girlfriend, like just three other people, like kind of scattered throughout. Yeah, uh, and that was pretty much it. And I, we we went on Saturday. We went at like a six o'clock show. Like. Hey, I feel like I should have been popping. Yeah. Um, but, and I think maybe it was because we went to, we went to the big D screening. Ah. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, bigger screen, bigger sound, but maybe a little pricier, mm. uh, which, you know, I have the Stubbs A-list. So yeah, it doesn't matter to me. You can uh, take that big D. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they knew what they were doing. Come on. They had to. Um, but uh, so I, I think that maybe that was it because like you could just go see it in a regular theater and pay less money. Yeah. Uh, so may, maybe that's why mine was empty. But but yeah, I had a really good time with it. That was pretty good. I, I do like the new cast, uh, especially especially like Jenna Ortega. I think she's very good in these movies. And I had a real like Jenna Ortega day that day because I came I came home and my girlfriend was watching Wednesday. Nice. Uh, and then we went to go see Scream Six, and then we went home and watched uh, SNL, which was hosted by Jenna Ortega. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's really good. I thought the older sister. 
uh, what was uh, Melissa Barrera. Melissa Barrera. She thought she was really good. Jasmine Savoy Brown was really good. The, the whole the whole core four was fun. Uh, it was good. And then seeing the like, oh, it's the Radio Silence people, you know, like that, like we're in uh, Ready or Not, uh, basically. You're like, oh, the therapists are weaving. Um, yes. Like those guys. Um, so that's pretty fun. I, I love that scene in the beginning with the therapist where he's like, nope, I can't do that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not qualified for this. <laughs> yes, Get out. absolutely. Uh, any spoilery thoughts? Anything, anything you want to talk about as far as Scream 6? Uh, spoilers? Uh, sure. The reveal of the killer, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, the spoilers for that. I thought that whole thing for a second was like, really? Like, we're going to do it still? Well, so when it's revealed that it's uh, the bro- the the brother and sister and father of uh riley was that his character's name from uh jack wade was the actor yeah That's, yeah the boyfriend from the last movie um, right who ended up being ghostface at the end of that movie yeah that whole thing and i was kind of like all right you know this is sort of it feels a little like skywalkery i don't know how to describe that feeling from the the new star wars prequel movies sure uh the dead speak you know like that kind of thing but then I remembered the the scene in the fran- the, the the franchise the rules scene where they're like okay stab two it's the, it's the the mom and the boyfriend like you know it's like oh you told me that it's gonna be the family of the last killer <laughs> right <laughs> so okay fine uh, maybe I'll let it go a little bit but um and they're sort of being three ghost faces a little bit in this there's time never been there's never been three. You know, that's cool. That. Uh, so my my issue, I, I did enjoy the reveal. The reveal that uh, they were oh, they're Jack Quaid's family. That makes sense. Okay, we're we're in on it. Dermot Mulroney is a pretty fun like bad guy as yeah. well. He's the father. Uh, also, the kid, the boy, is a spider from Avatar: The Way of Water. No way. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I can't recognize him without his dreads. That's that's the problem. Yeah, he he didn't have dreads in this movie. Uh, also, I think Avatar Two was shot like six years ago or whatever. So yeah. That's- <laughs> So he looks a little older now. <laughs> and he doesn't have a mask over. Well, okay, I guess he does have a mask over his face. Not a the different kind mask of over his face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the, so the reveal of that was good. I just think that, um, you know, they, it was maybe not as expansive of a cast in order to make that reveal as good as it could be. Yeah. Because um, when, when they're like, you know, okay, you guys are like the new people that have like worked and in, warmed into our friend group, you're all suspects. And the only like, three extra people are the two who are Ghostface and then Jasmine Savoy Brown's love interest. Right. Uh, right. Like the girl that she's dating. Uh, and then she dies pretty early on. Yep. <laughs> and and to it also makes you think that uh, the girl Ghostface also dies early yeah. on. And then it's a twist that like, oh, she was alive the whole time and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it, it really like limits the suspect pool, I think, when it's like kind of when when you when all three of them are Ghostface and they're like the only three suspects. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it did feel um, that was pretty weird. And it did make me feel real gross throughout most of the back half of the movie where it's uh, Dermot Mulroney, who's playing a cop, keeps talking about how bad he wants to vigilante kill this guy. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, in 2023, this is a really weird choice. I mean, and then it's explained, like, you know, and it's revealed that he's also in this ghost face plot. And like, okay, so I get what's going on there. But for a long time, I was like, we're really supposed to be on this dude's side. Uh, like, this is very strange. Right. Um, uh, that- it, it, the movie also does try to make you think that Kirby might be Ghostface. Right. I kind of liked that for a hot second. That was uh, kind of a cool idea. Uh, it was one of those things where, like, you know, it's been, like, the prevailing fan theory uh, for a long time that, like, one day Sydney might be Ghostface because she'll just snap. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they kind of poke fun at that in this movie uh, during the scene where Ghostface is talking to Gail. And he's like, you know, no, you would have made a good ghost face at one point, you know, S- Sydney would never have made sense. That would be stupid. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> which like agreed and you know and Dewey's a fan favorite couldn't be him but Gail I could see you being Ghostface and that whole scene when Gail is defending herself was pretty oh. good I, I liked that yeah that was one of the moments where uh, my crowd was going insane when yeah. uh, she's being choked out by Ghostface and uh, the Carpenter sisters come in and they pick up the gun and they're like you know she, they saved the day basically and my crowd was <laughs> they like they started yeah. blasting yeah. they started blasting <laughs> uh, and my crowd was like yeah fuck you bitch like they were going nuts for it uh, nice. which was very fun um, so that was cool. And yeah, it is interesting that, and I don't really necessarily remember this thing throughout the other movies either, but like they say that, go, like they're talking about Ghostface as if it's one thing, one person, right? Because he talks to Gail and he's like, you know, interesting that we've never talked on the phone before. Uh, right. It's like, and then she immediately says like, you know, 10 other assholes have tried this, right? Like, you know? <laughs> So like, it's, it's an interesting, uh, like legacy character thing that they're dealing with, with Ghostface as like a icon versus the individual ghost faces in each movie. Right. Yeah. Cause the conceit of it is like all these things are actually happening to these people, but then there's like this whole movie franchise that has spawned off of it, yeah. uh, based on the real events. Uh, and so everybody, like everything that has happened in these Ghostface killings, is like pretty public record, and like, people know. Right. Uh, so the fact that Gail's never been on the phone with Ghostface is like, I guess, something that people would know. People would know that, yeah. And I love how much Gail just never changes. Like she's just a bitch the whole time. Like <laughs> yeah. she promised she wouldn't write a book about Scream Five. She wrote a book about it. Like classic. <laughs> Got him. Uh, it's like, well, but, somebody was gonna do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I love the callback. Her punching out. Is it Nancy Loomis? Right. It turns out she punches out that like other reporter right. in Scream too when Jenna Ortega punches out Gail uh which is pretty fun so yeah I, I, yeah it's just a good time and there's all little touches throughout I can't believe there was a, a reference to Jeremy Saulnier's first movie murder party uh in this uh at the costume party at the beginning of the movie the right. new friend is in the costume from murder party incredible and I was like I've got to be one of the only people that will understand that. like I don't think anybody uh, saw this yeah i haven't seen murder parties so i i did not uh but i but i heard there was a reference to it in this movie so yeah there was i that. remember when i went to see um was it hold the dark was that the jeremy saulnier netflix movie with yeah the one with jeffrey Wright. with jeffrey Wright. uh when i went to see that at a at um a draft, draft house screening yeah. with a Q&A with Jeremy Saunier. Uh, he had merch to hand out and he's still, the only merch that was left was murder party merch. <laughs> <laughs> like, and he still has it. And he's like, I've been trying to get this, like, give this away. Somebody please take these yeah. things. <laughs> Like, holy shit. Um, Amazing. And now it's in Scream 6. So that was fun. <laughs> it's legacy is secure. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, but so one of the other weird things, too, I wanted to talk about with this was the whole, like, New York thing, right? Like, we're at, we're not in Woodsboro, and that makes it feel a little bit more dangerous that they've been followed to, to New York. But it also sort of... Why New York? It could have been anywhere, really. Yeah, it, it doesn't really, other than the subway scene. That's the uh, one I, scene, yeah. Yeah, other than that, I don't think they really take advantage of the fact that it's in New York. No. You know? And that sort of goes to the thing that you were talking about before, where it's like, there's three new people in the cast, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, in, we're in New York, maybe, and there's yeah. kind of nobody else in this cast. Uh, <laughs> like, it's got to be one of them. Uh, and that's also, that's my big issue with these past two Scream movies. And the movies that I generally really like, I, I do like these movies. Um, but my big issue, as I said before, is they're not killing enough people. And they I, kill and three I, people in the first 10 minutes, though. Uh, okay, but they're people that we don't know. Sure. I need, uh, so I need people that are in the cast of the actual movie. Got it. <laughs> to, to be getting killed off left and right. That's... That's my ideal Scream movie, you know? Uh, And I think that's an issue that sort of plagued uh, Scream 3 and 4 as well, uh, because at a certain point, it's like, well, they're not going to kill Sidney Dewey or Gale, you know? And and to that end, it's like, well, if you believe that, then, like, where's the suspense, you know, in in these characters, right? Yeah. Uh, So at least with Scream 2... 
like Randy's die. Randy dies in mm-hmm. that movie. And it's like, oh, well, you know, if Randy died, anybody can die. Cause he was in the first movie. It could, anybody could, it could happen. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of Scream 5, it, it seemed like both of the Meeks kids had died, right? Both of Randy's niece, like niece and nephew, Jasmine Savoy Brown and uh, Mason Gooding, yeah. uh, Min- Mindy and Chad, right? They it, it seemed like they died in Scream 5, like in the various things. And then at the very end of the movie, you see them like on stretchers being like, wow, we're alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like, oh. Okay, fine. And, you know, there's also like an Easter egg in Scream 5 revealing that Kirby survived in Scream 4. And it's like, oh, okay, we're bringing back Kirby. And then she's a character in this movie. And so there's a moment where it seems like Kirby dies in this movie. She's fine. There's a moment where it really seems like Gail dies. And then you get a call from the hospital. But you're like, Gail's going to be okay. And then all of that would have been fine, except there's a moment in this movie where it really seems like Chad fucking dies. Like and Jasmine Savoy Brown. Hers is like a little bit more open where it's like, I I could see her surviving. Like she gets stabbed pretty, she gets stabbed once, I think. And like, you know, Chad gets stabbed like 25 times so between, between two ghost faces, yeah, just stab, in the stabbing chest. the shit out of him. And then you don't see him again. And it's like, well, man, it's a bummer that Chad died. And then he gets pulled up on a stretcher and be like, Chad, how are you alive? And he says like, Corvor or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny. Yep. <laughs> but I'm also like, how the fuck is this guy still alive? I know they they took the thing in uh, the end of Scream One, you know, with the like Randy being like, and now it's time for one last jump scare where the killer lurches back to life, and just made it for everybody. <laughs> they just yeah. everybody gets that last <laughs> moment where they come back to life, because um, you know it happens to Kirby gets shot a bunch of times, which maybe she had a bulletproof vest on, whatever. She gets stabbed a couple times, and then there's like twenty minutes go by where like it's just. Tara and uh, whatever the car, the sisters, the main people, Tara, Tara and Sam, yeah. Tara and Sam, like sitting on the steps of the stage while she's like bleeding out, like where she would be bleeding out 20 feet from them. And they're just like, man, trauma. Huh? And they're like, have this whole conversation, um, just for her Kirby to pop back up and save them when the last ghost face comes back. Yeah. Um, but both of the ghost faces get beat up and stabbed and shot and stuff. And they get to have that last thing. Uh, all, yeah. All the characters sure. get to have this moment. Yeah. And, and Quinn, the girl ghost face, uh, it seems like she dies early in the movie too and then turns out she's ghost face that, right. that one i'm okay with because it's like oh it's a reveal that she's ghost face yeah uh but the rest of them are just like like chad especially was just like this guy seemed like he died in both movies yeah absolutely uh, and it seems like he really should be dead and i feel like the movies shouldn't be afraid to kill off their characters you know i, I just feel like that's that's this is a horror movie this is a slasher movie like this this has to be happening you know <laughs> yeah and maybe that's one of the rules that you know matt singer was sort of referencing too because in the first three to four movies Gale and Dewey and everybody like they're always getting stabbed and shot and they're always they always live uh it's like it's like a weird rule of the friend of the scream franchise at this point that the main characters are are pin cushions but they live um right that's true but but at least in the first two i think there's like a genuine threat of like yeah you know any of them could die right because it's it's the scream one especially it's like you know it's it's the first movie anything's on the table like we don't know who like the characters are going to be from this point going forward uh then in scream two like you have a few characters that carry over from the first movie that survived right but it's yeah. basically it's the four of them right gail dewey sydney and randy and randy dies in that movie so it's like mm-hmm. oh man the stakes have never been like you know all that all that kind of stuff and then by the time you get to scream three and four it's like uh they, they all survive and it's like at some point one of them's gonna die right yeah <laughs> and then finally they do kill dewey in scream five but it is like a you know a legacy sequel thing where they kind of bring attention to it it's like oh you know a legacy sequel character like the main guy has to die from the previous movie to you know put get it on to the next you know all that kind of stuff the yeah. han solo 
uh, Force Awakens type thing. Absolutely, yeah. What did you think of the, like, thank God we invented the Sydney machine two lines of dialogue? <laughs> I thought that was very funny. Um, yeah, just was just so like weird. Just, like, really, like, shoehorned in, like, just like, oh, yeah, I, uh, Gail's like, oh, by the way, I talked to Sydney. She wish, she gives you her love. Yeah. She's not coming here. <laughs> I think that that sort of makes sense. Uh, oh, know. yeah. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things where it's like, like Scream 5, re- really, Scream 3 was like the end of Sydney's story. Yep. And then Scream 5 like really kind of puts a button on it and it's like, all right, like the character's story is done. And if Nev Campbell wanted to come back for another one, she totally could, but like she doesn't have to. Yeah. Uh, and obviously she didn't want to because of the pay dispute and all that kind of stuff for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, Courtney Cox just has a line where it's like, oh, well, Sydney sends her love, but she uh, is staying with her family. She And she says she's earned her happy ending and I agree with her. And, you know, it's like, well, I agree with that too or whatever. And yeah. that's, that's it. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, so no more Sydney for now, I guess, at least uh, we'll see. But there are plenty of other characters, I guess, you know, like Kirby or whatever that could kind of take over, start to fill in those more legacy roles. Cause I think that that is, it would be weird. I think to see a screen movie without characters like that, you know, like it doesn't necessarily have to be Gail uh, or anybody, but this whole, world that they've set up like you said it's the stab franchise within the movie yeah. like it's there's kind of all this stuff that like there'd be a like woodsboro's survivors support group or whatever you know like there'd be other people That's like true. that yeah so there's uh, i don't know who else is left alive off the top of my head that i can name but well that that doesn't matter because they bring these characters back yeah <laughs> anybody can come back uh so that'd be fun. That'd be kind of yeah. neat. There was a there's a moment about halfway through the movie where uh, my girlfriend was really convinced that what the movie was gonna do because it, it the movie pretty t- plays it pretty fast and loose with like or it, it kind of keeps it close to the vest like who Ghostface is and like it, 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 I think it is it is an effective reveal when it's revealed as three people. I, I thought it was two for a while and I was like, well, you know, Ethan was here, you know, when that person was stabbed, but like he, it could also be like two ghost faces and he could be the second one or whatever. Yeah. Um, but my girlfriend was pretty convinced about halfway through that uh, they were going to bring back Matthew Lillard as Stu and like it turned out he was going to be Ghostface the whole time. And there's a line in the movie where some like they're talking about, you know, Stu and Billy Loomis. And, uh, you know, I think Mindy says something like, yes, yeah, Stu, if you believe he actually died. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or something. Right. And so she was like convinced, like, Stu, like Matthew Lillard's back. It's going to be Stu. <laughs> I think uh, that's wild. That would be crazy. I love it. I love uh, it so much. Scream uh, 7. I'm just saying it's a, it's a yeah. possibility. <laughs> I do think that. It's really funny to watch all these movies and watch that final, you know, like villain monologue showdown scene and realize that everyone is just doing Matthew Lillard in those scenes now, Uh, especially when it's the three ghost faces in this one. Uh, It's just very funny that they're all like screaming weird shit at each other. Uh, (laughs) It's interesting. Um, But I think it's I think the like social thing that this movie kind of tackles a little bit, which is like sort of like the online conspiracy theory thing uh, rather than like the entitled fanboy stuff from Scream 5. Right. uh, Is a little I feel like maybe they kind of just were like, I don't know, QAnon. (laughs) Like they didn't I feel like it doesn't really go any or isn't really in the movie enough. You know, I mean, it's about Tara's the whole like uh, everyone, the rumors online that she kind of coordinated Ghostface stuff from. Yes. Or Sam. Sam actually. Sorry, Sam. Yeah. yeah. Um, that same kind of coordinated ghost face and stuff, which uh, is interesting. You know, it's sort of like the same thing with Sid, like, you know, to, to mirror Sydney that everyone was like, Sydney's cursed. She's the reason this is happening. And now it's like Sam is actually doing these things. Uh, so that's, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things where like, okay, there it is. We got like a 
two or three lines about real world stuff like they did in all the other ones to check off right. the list. But yeah, it's fun. I, and I liked, uh, I was like kind of genuinely uh, like, oh man, we're in sort of like uncharted territory for a minute, which is really, I guess I should have seen it coming because it's the structure of a screen movie. But at the beginning when uh, Tony Revolori takes the mask off and you're like, what? We're going to just know who Ghostface is this entire movie? Like, yeah, yes. holy shit. Uh, and then he dies five minutes later and you're like, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the scream fake out first act thing. Um, but yeah, I thought that would have been really cool if we just knew who it was the whole time. Yes. Yeah. That, that was a fun idea that it played with. And of course it was subverting the expectation about that and all that kind of stuff. So that was fun. Also, they, they continue to bring back a CGI de-aged Skeet Ulrich. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so there's that. That's fun. Good for Skeet uh, Ulrich. You know? Yeah. He gets lines in this movie. He gets to, because in the last one, it, you just see his face, right? You just see him. I think like, he says silence. a couple things. Okay. But not really. Yeah. He's, it's mostly just him like staring at her in mirrors. Right. Yeah. And so in this one, yeah, he's actually, it's, it's like, she's like, it's, yeah, he's the green goblin in the mirror uh, that's kind of exactly thing. what it is yeah <laughs> uh and so that's that's fine i think that's like one of the dumbest things that these two movies have done but also in like an endearing kind of way so uh, i'm all about it it's fun yeah yeah like uh, i think either they're gonna have to have sam just actively be Ghostface in the next one because the way this ends with her in the Ghostface costume killing uh jared Rooney, and they keep teasing that and like all of everyone else in the universe of these movies is like well you're Ghostface, <laughs> like yeah <Right. laughs> um <laughs> or something i don't know what they're gonna have to do but it is an interesting thing to go with where she's kind of actively fighting this mental illness or whatever she's got, where she's talking to D.H. Skeet Ulrich. You're right. <laughs> um, but yeah, any other Scream 6 thoughts, Mike? Anything else that we should bring up? Um, I did like uh, the cute boy guy, the like neighbor across the hall or whatever, across oh, the yeah. courtyard. He was fun. Yes. Yeah, Josh Segura, who uh, I, I recognized from Arrow. He was on that show for a while. Oh, okay. Uh, and he's also on the other two, which is a very funny show people should watch. Fair enough. So yeah, that, I mean, he was just one of the the other cast additions uh, that I, I liked that. I like. I kind of love how, I kind of hope they fill out more of the like core friend group or whatever and then keep killing them. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh yeah i mean that's kind of what you have to do in the in the scream movies that's sort of the yeah. idea <laughs> he'll die in the first act of the next one basically yes you know. yeah i did think it was very uh it was a little bit on the nose but i think effective um how the entire the, the arc between sam and tara here is that you know sam has to let her go right she has to like you know, and, <laughs> and like it has to like you know be like you, she has to be on her own and all that kind of stuff and then they make that very literal at the end of the movie where she like literally has to let her go to save herself to fight to fight ghost face yeah that felt a <laughs> little bit like you know like why did you say that name or yeah. uh in was it this is the end where they're looking at like the empty playground and they're like innocence lost yes <laughs> like, that's kind of what that felt like <laughs> Um, yep. but that was a cool fight scene. I, I liked that whole ghost face shrine movie theater thing. That was weird. That was yes. very Giallo esque. Uh, yeah. And, and the reveal that this was actually like Jack's spot. This was all his stuff. Like that made sense. Jack Quaid's stuff. Yeah. I mean, like that, that all made sense. And like, so when it was his family and I was like, Oh, this is like all of his stuff. Cause he was like a stab fanatic. I was like, Oh yeah, that, the tracks, that makes sense. That all makes sense. Did, don't look at my blu-rays. Don't look at my blu-rays. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't relate to that at all. Um, right. Um, but oh, and that one moment, the one image in particular where uh, after they don't kill Chad, but definitely kill Chad, where the two ghost faces turn around and do the like knife wipe thing in, in sync with each other. Yeah. Uh, uh, just applause. Like just cool. people going nuts uh, in my theater for that. So. <laughs> 
that, I think that experience really elevated some of these moments. So, you know, I'll check it out at home for sure and see if any of it still lands um, as hard as it did in the yeah. theater. But it's a good time. Nice. Yeah, I know. I had a really good time with it, too. It's, uh, it's Scream. Still no bad Scream movies. And that's that's something. Yeah. Even Scream 3. Even Scream 3. Well, you, you're a favorite of the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You said that once. <laughs> I said that once. I think right now it's uh, one, four, three. Well, well, I think one in four, at least I can confidently say still. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, there's a lot of them now. It takes a second to think about. <laughs> yeah. Where? Yeah. I think just off, off the top of my head, I feel like I would go one, four, five, mm-hmm. two, six, three. Okay. That's sort of where I'm at. Right. Uh, and six and three may be interchangeable a little bit. Damn. Interesting. But like you said, no bad screen movie. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy all of them. So there's that. <laughs> That's all that matters. <laughs> all right. So uh, that's uh, Scream 6, uh, which we both saw this weekend, and we talked about The Last of Us. Uh, and you don't have any more discussions, right, Mike? Correct. Okay. So uh, I'm just going to run through a few things real quickly, uh, and then we can wrap this up. All right. Nice. Uh, so speaking of legacy sequels uh, that just came out recently, I also went to go see Creed 3. Oh, uh, look at that. Which, yeah, I talked about uh, a little bit last week, just kind of in passing. But uh, man, Creed 3 rules. Uh, I recommend people should go see Creed 3. I'm a huge Rocky Creed fan. I have been doing a big Rocky Creed rewatch. And so I, I think I talked about that in the previous discussions. I, at that point, I had watched everything up through Creed. And I've since rewatched Creed 2. Also good. And yeah, Creed 3 uh, is the first one without Sylvester Stallone uh, as Rocky Balboa. Uh, much like Scream 6 does not have Neff Campbell in it. Uh, and yeah, so I was a little curious how I was going to react to this one because uh, Rocky uh, is a character that means a lot to me and has been like the anchor for me. And I, and I But I was also kind of of the opinion with like the Creed movies have set up their own cast so well and like, you know, have, have such a full lived in uh, kind of world that they've kind of developed that I'm like, okay, well, even without Stallone, I think I'm still going to really enjoy this. And I did. It's really good. And Michael B. Jordan directed Creed 3, uh, much like Stallone directed many of the Rocky movies and michael b jordan turns out it's like a huge anime nerd nice uh and uh it, like it, and his direction of creed 3 is like heavily influenced uh by anime and the the way that he's directing some of these fights like it feels very stylistic it feels very different from a lot of the stuff that's in the previous rocky and creed movies there's a moment in the final battle between creed and jonathan majors which uh, <laughs> the fact that you said final battle uh well exactly yeah and that's <laughs> what it feels like the you know the final boxing match but there's a moment in that final battle where where, um, you know, they it starts off normal. They're fighting. It's great. Uh, and then like it kind of goes into their heads. And so you're watching it like the entire audience like disappears. And it's just the two of them in the ring together. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool and stylistic and just so different from everything else this franchise has done. Uh, and so that was really neat. Yeah, all the fights are incredible. Uh, Michael B. Jordan so good in it. And Jonathan Majors, it makes for an incredible antagonist uh, in this movie uh, as Dame, who uh, is a figure from Creed's past, who kind of reenters his life and ends up being uh, a pretty crazy guy and yeah creed 3 it's fantastic uh so yeah high recommend nice yeah that might be one i just wait although creed on the film big screen that sounds yeah. pretty cool i saw it on imax and uh it, it looks really great just throwing it out there nice <laughs> but yeah so creed 3 is out right now uh so recommend that one uh i also saw cocaine bear uh, which is the new film from Elizabeth Banks uh, about a cocaine bear. And, you know, I, I feel like this is a movie that's, uh, we, we've been playing it at the Roxy and it's been killing it. Um, wow. like, a, a lot of people have been coming out for cocaine bear and everybody seems to really enjoy it. I know a lot of people on staff who have seen it and really enjoyed it. And I felt like a real wet blanket when I saw it. And I was like, ah, it's all right, I guess. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I was really excited for it. Uh, And then I saw kind of mixed reactions and sort of along the lines of what you were like, your 
like, yeah, that's all right, I guess. And it's got five or six really good scenes and then everything else is weird. And so I just haven't bothered. <laughs> I'll yeah. wait till it's online and I can watch it. It, it really reminded me of Snakes on a Plane um, in, in terms of like, oh, this is like a really fun concept. It's a dumb title, but like it's something that'll like get people into it. And like, it's, it's just like a dumb, fun idea that'll be a, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and then in practice, it's like, oh, well, that wasn't as good as it should have been, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was actually just listening to uh, Colors of the Dark podcast today. And they were talking about Cocaine Bear and they talked about Snakes on a Plane and the difference they said, uh, which, you know, I haven't seen Cocaine Bear, but Snakes on a Plane was like, we're going to take this really dumb idea and we're going to play it straight. Like, you know, Samuel Jackson is going to say, I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane and he's going to mean it. But then Cocaine Bear is like, isn't it wacky? We got a Cocaine Bear (laughs) is like sort of. how they described it and the attitude and like it kind of plays it for broad stuff. Um, yeah. And it doesn't really work according to yeah. that. It kind of felt like the movie just didn't go hard enough. You know, it, it sort mm. of feels like uh, I kind of described it to somebody as being like, it's 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 almost like it takes itself not seriously enough, but also too seriously, like at the same time. Like there's no, there's, there's no like cohesion to the whole thing. And there's a couple of like fun scenes in it because, uh, you know, it's a movie about a cocaine bear. Uh, so like there's going to be some fun scenes <laughs> yeah. in it, uh, but like not enough to sustain its runtime. And it's not like a, lo- a long movie. It's like 95 minutes. But, and, you know, it's it's got a wild cast. I mean, Alden Ehrenreich is in this movie, uh, and it was cool to see him again, and O'Shea Jackson Jr., and uh, the dude from The Wire, Wendell Pierce. Um, Amazing. Isn't Ray Liotta you, also in it? Ray, it's Ray Liotta's final film. Um, wow. Which is crazy. Carrie Russell is in this movie. <laughs> like, there's, you know, Margot Martindale. Like, there's a lot of people are, are in this movie uh, that, uh, you know, it's a great cast, and just uh, really feels like, man, like if they took this a little more seriously and or, or maybe like lean more into the horror of it all, that would be fun. Um, but alas, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll uh, wait till it's online and then I'll check it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If, if you want to, you don't have to. I don't know. <laughs> Seems like uh, an afternoon waster kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I think that's kind of what it's designed for. But yeah, that's Cocaine Bear. Also wanted to mention that I watch uh, The Innocence, uh, which is uh, a movie that came out last year. It's available on Shudder right now. I believe it's a Shudder exclusive. And uh, I watched this um, because there were two people that told me it was good. Uh, one of which was uh, our buddy EJ, who was a friend of the podcast, uh, who was uh, on the podcast years ago for the Lego Movie 2 episode. This was one of his favorite horror movies of the year. He did like a whole like, 25 movie thread of like horror movies that he watched in 2022. Nice. Uh, and this was like very high up there on the list. And then the other person that told me this was good was Toby Poser of the Adams family, <laughs> uh, who gave us a, you know, her clip for, <laughs> for the, who gave us her year end of the clip, uh, for our end of year episode, the 2022 top 10. Right. Uh, and she named, uh, the innocence as her number one movie of the year. Uh, so it's like, okay, this, uh, this put it on my radar. I should check it out. Uh, this is a Norwegian film, uh, directed by Eskel Vogt, who co-wrote, uh, the worst person in the world, oh. uh, which, uh, is, was my, one of my second favorite movie of last year. So I was in and, uh, I really liked it. It's very good. The innocence, uh, high recommend. Uh, it's a movie about this group of kids, uh, who sort of discover that they, some of them have like various powers, you know, powers like, you know, you can manipulate people into doing what you want, or you can move things with your mind and that kind of thing. Right. And then that turns into some really horrifying stuff uh, as the movie goes on. And the last like 30, 40 minutes are, I think, like genuinely very tense and terrifying. And uh, yeah, it's it's very good stuff. So The Innocence uh, is on Shutter right now, and uh, people should check it out. It makes me think of that, um, what was that movie with the, the superhero kid? Well, kid with superpowers that's evil. Uh, oh, uh, Chronicle? No, no. Well, Chronicle 2, I guess. Okay. Um, I did think of Chronicle while watching this. Um, but, uh, oh, uh, Brightburn? Yes. That's yes. the one? <laughs> that's the one. 
uh, with what's the, from what's the guy's the oh boy? It's late. I can't think of anybody's names. But anyway, <laughs> uh, compare it to Brightburn. I never saw Brightburn. I, I, I liked Brightburn. Brightburn was fun. Um, yeah. That was uh, Elizabeth Banks was in that movie for sure. Interesting. She she was the mom in that. Uh, yes. And I was trying. I was trying. I was. You're trying to think of the dad in the movie or like no, the main uh, the director, the Guardians guy. What the hell? For oh, <laughs> well, he didn't direct Brightburn, but yeah, James Gunn uh, produced Brightburn. Oh, he produced year. it. Oh, okay. I thought it was his. yes. He directed it. Yeah. No, it was a. Uh, it was James Gunn produced uh he also it was written by his brothers brian gunn and mark gunn got it produced by james gunn elizabeth banks was the star of it also uh, oh and the guy the main guy in the movie was roy from the office uh (laughs) david denman (laughs) all right fair enough so there's that Um, (laughs) anyway the innocence uh, the innocence it's pretty good and uh, people should check it out it's on shutter and then quick mention of a few other things i've started my john wick rewatch uh ahead of john wick chapter four i've watched the first two and man these movies rule hell yeah (laughs) just basically great just great action movies uh i think john wick chapter two is my favorite of the series right now and it has been for a while but i've only seen chapter three once and i'm really curious to uh rewatch that one Mm, i did really like chapter three last time i rewatched it Uh, yeah I, i think i i really love chapter three i saw it in theaters uh and i think all of the action is like the best action of the series i think it is a little like bloated i think the stuff where he like goes across the world and like his travels and traveling in the desert for a while feels like a little bit long um but otherwise yeah a perfect action movie <laughs> yeah just that hallway of knives great fight wow. yes yeah absolutely and uh, there was you know john wick chapter four have you heard how long this movie is isn't it like nine hours or something no. it's it's uh, it's almost three hours it's like two hours and 49 minutes so if you uh, thought chapter two was long, hey, waka waka. Yeah, hey, uh, well, I, from what I've heard, like early reactions seem to indicate that it's fantastic. So, I, I mean, and I had no doubt that it would be like John Wick, uh, John Wick chapter three, I think is a little bit long, but only because like the pacing's a little bit off. Mm. I, I think you know, it's like two hours and 10 minutes. It's not like super long. It's just like, it feels like, oh, we're spending a lot of time walking through the desert and we could be blowing people's brains out, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but chapter four, it's it's almost three hours long, but all the reviews are like, yeah, it's, it's fucking incredible. I get it. Like, it's, it's fair. So uh, I look forward to uh, to watching it. But when I when I heard how long it was, I feel like a lot of the reaction to it was like, I can't believe John Wick Chapter Four is almost three hours long. Grumble, grumble. And I was like, Yeah, give me more of that. <laughs> <laughs> I want more John Wick. <laughs> But yeah, but I, I watched the first two recently and uh, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Uh, you know, we saw the first one together back in the day yeah. uh, and it's wild to, to me that like how much this series has grown over since then, you know, to like literally changed the way action movies are made now, which is wild. Um, yes. I remember seeing a post on Reddit that I don't remember what the post was, but it was a, com- it was a comment on whatever thread it was maybe a screenshot of something from the trailer or no, it was something about, it was something about Keanu Reeves. And it was a big comment about this guy saying like, oh yeah, I works on this movie that Keanu Reeves is in and it's coming up and it's like, you know, it's like a real focus on realist, realistic action and like, you know, more normal movies, like somebody to get thrown through a window and you never see him again. But like in this movie, we made a point that he goes through the, follows him through the window and kills him out, like out, make sure he's dead. And like, I was like, yeah. wow, that's like a pretty interesting idea to make like a realistic quote unquote, uh, like action movie. That'll be cool. And here we are, John Wick chapter four and every movie is made that way now <laughs> yes <laughs> um, yeah and realistic realistic in terms of that um, yeah, but also well, like 
the insane world that John Wick takes place in is like anything from realistic. And that's part of what I love about these movies too, is just how insane the world building is. Yeah. And just like every reveal, like John Wick chapter one, the kind of, or the original John Wick kind of hints at that stuff. Like you are introduced to the continental and you kind of have the rules of the continental laid out for you and all that, all that. And you have the coins and you're like, what does all this mean? Uh, and then in chapter two, uh, once you get to the point where like John Wick is like traveling through the subway and like puts a coin with a homeless guy and it's like, it's like, take me to the king. And he like just goes, like <laughs> goes under the covers. Yeah. And the guy's like, all right. And he kills two guys. And it's like, all right, come with me. <laughs> and it's Jason Manzoukas. You're like, what is happening? Well, that's in the third one. Oh, uh, right, this, right, right. Yeah. But the second, the second one, when it's just like revealed that like the homeless population in New York is also assassins. Yeah. I think it's, is it the end of two where like he gets his whatever revoked and it's like the text messages all go out to everybody. And you're like, oh, the entire yeah. population of New York City is <laughs> every uh, single person is an assassin. Is an uh, assassin. Yeah. And I saw and I saw like somebody like kind of, you know, tweeting about it being like, you know, is anybody else concerned about like all the innocent bystanders that are like being killed in John Wick fights? And I was like, no, because everyone is an assassin. <laughs> 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 yeah. You think when Keanu shoots into the fountain in John Wick 2, he's not also killing other assassins? Right. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Great, great subway fight with uh, Common. Wonderful. And they're just yes. casually trying to shoot like under their yeah. arms to pew, each pew, other. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. I think I think most movies should just open with Buster Keaton projected on the side of a uh, yes. uh, skyscraper. And then Harold Lloyd, I think, is in Chapter 3. I think um, that's right, yeah. Wonderful. I wonder who it'll be in chapter four. Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, I but yeah, I'm really excited to rewatch chapter three because it's been, I haven't seen it since theaters, and uh, yeah, I'm very very stoked for that one. But yeah, so I'm doing the John Wick rewatch, and we'll probably review John Wick chapter four uh, when that comes out in like two weeks. Um, yeah, and it'll then, be a weird a weird uh, complete works crossover when Donnie Yen and Hiroyuki Sonata are in uh, a John Wick movie. Yes. Um, yeah. Which by the way, I was really excited when Donnie Yen showed up at the Oscars last yeah, night. Yeah, that was so cool. <laughs> I forget what he introduced, but uh, it was fun. I think it was one of the songs. I think it was the song for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I, I think, think it was the David right. Byrne yes. song. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that's my John Wick rewatch. And speaking of Keanu, also wanted to mention that uh, our, our latest uh, Inferno of Danger at the Roxy uh, took place this weekend, uh, which was Point Break with Keanu Reeves and you Patrick Swayze. Want to shoot your gun up in the air and go, ah. There you go. <laughs> Easy peasy. Yes. And yeah, this is the movie that turned Keanu Reeves into an action star. And we showed it at the Roxy and uh, it sold out both screenings. Um, nice. We, we it, it like pre-sales were going so fast that we were like, hey, we should add a second screening of this. And we did. And that also sold out. Uh, so that was very cool to see. Um, but uh, yeah, so I got to go. I got to watch Point Break with a packed crowd of people who were really into it. And that was very fun. Hell yeah. Did you do a little intro and, and all that stuff? You do the oh, whole yes. thing? Yeah, I did the intro. I, uh, you know, was telling people about Point Break. And, you know, the, the entire month of March at the Roxy, uh, the series of the month is called Women Directing, uh, which, you know, humble brag was my idea. Mm, uh, nice. And so the idea of the series is that it's uh, honoring uh, most of the women who have been nominated for Best Director at the Oscars at some point uh, over the course of the history of the Oscars, which is a very small group. Uh, <laughs> so it kind of said that you could fit them all in one month. <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, and so there have been seven women total and we are, we played six of them, uh, throughout the month of March. Uh, and so we've already played, um, uh, the piano, uh, directed by Jane Campion, uh, who ended up winning later for power of the dog, but she was nominated for the piano first. Right. And I also went to go see the piano, by the way, it's very good. I hadn't seen it before. I don't think um, I've seen it either. Yeah. It's really good. People should watch it. But, uh, yeah, throw that out there. And then we also played, uh, seven beauties, uh, directed by Lena Vertmuller, who is the very first woman to be nominated for best director. 
Um, but on the 8th, on March 8th, we played The Hurt Locker, uh, which is directed by Catherine Bigelow, who was the first woman to win Best Director. And so in my intro, I was talking about that and being like, oh, yeah, so, you know, we played The Hurt Locker a couple days ago as part of women directing. Catherine Bigelow also directed Point Break, and Point Break is a much better movie. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it rules, and The Hurt Locker is fine. It's kind of my... <laughs> my take on it but I was, yeah just kind of a bit and people enjoyed it i also got to uh reveal some of the other stuff we're planning from inferno of danger because in april we're playing the driver directed by walter hill which i'm really excited about nice. uh and i was able to uh also announce that uh in may we're doing a double feature of blade and blade 2 which i've told you about um but i hadn't really told a crowd about it yet and people went nuts like people nice. were, like, there was like a lot of applause and cheering for the idea of a blade double feature love it you absolutely love to see it yeah so that was really cool that was really fun and yeah, the Point Break crowd was so much fun. And uh, yeah, Keanu is just like perfect casting for that movie, especially at that point in time where it's like he's coming off of Bill and Ted. It's like surfer bro Keanu and yeah. he's going right into it. Patrick Swayze is so good. Gary Busey is uh, incredible in Point Break. Uh, there's the moment that I always think about uh, when they're like staking out the bank and he's like, oh, there's a place around the corner that makes great meatball subs. Get me two. And like while he's doing that, he's like cackling while reading a Calvin and Hobbes comic. Uh, he's like, this Calvin and Hobbes is fucking funny, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so, so good. Uh, that's great. John C. McGinley is in this movie as like the officer that like chews them out the entire time. And that's great. You know, good stuff. Love to see it. Yeah. I I, I believe that like me, these moviegoers are into <laughs> <laughs> Point Break. <laughs> and that, of course, is a line from the Point Break remake, which we must never acknowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that construction of a sentence like <laughs> one, once a week. That that was when that trailer came out, man. That was just nonstop. That's what we. <laughs> that was the reference we kept making. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I've never seen the Point Break remake. I don't yeah. think anyone has. Me neither. Yeah, it was. It's literally like I think one of the most pointless remakes of all time. Where it's just like let's let's take Point Break, which is like an action movie that has a ton of personality and like you know a, a just a, like just so many weird esoteric things about it, and it's very much an, an era, an object of its time and place. And let's just like sand it down into nothingness and like just release this remake with no stars uh, and like nobody like of significance involved in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just just a weird choice. Very strange. I kind of want to watch it, though, <laughs> just to see. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you watch it and you're I, 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 again, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Uh, but it's one of those things where I would imagine if I watched it, I would be like, why didn't they just make like Point Break 2? Why couldn't right. they just do that? <laughs> Let's make a legacy sequel. Come on. Yeah, just to have Keanu training the next, uh, you know, generation of surfers or whatever. Johnny Nevada. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but all right, so that's Point Break, and uh, I think that pretty much takes us to the end. I had a couple, of, like just the piano. Troll Two went to go see that. The Roxy. Nice. Uh, which that was a sold out crowd. Ton of fun. Uh, I watched There's Something About Mary for the first time. What? Yeah. It's, I it's, can't imagine it holds up. It's yeah, exactly. It's it, there's some solid stuff in there. <laughs> Um, but there's a lot of stuff that does not, does not hold up at all. Uh, the movie opens with like, you know, an extended sequence of people making fun of like a special needs guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and it's like, okay, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, but I think by the end of it, I, I was in, uh, into the, just the general, like kind of wackiness of it all. And you know, all that. And I, I like the reveals of like, oh, literally every guy in this movie is, uh, going after Mary in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, so that was funny. Brett Favre was in it, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. But yeah, I had never seen it before. So I was like, yeah, it's, it's on Hulu. It's 1130 at night. I'll cross it off the list. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I can't imagine. Uh, all I can picture is that one like web video where it's like, well, it was a different time back then. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me pop in my favorite movie from 2005. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, so I believe that will take us to the end of this week's episode, Mike. Yes, we did it. We made it all the way to the end. Yes, absolutely. And as a reminder, if you want our discussion on the Oscars, uh, the Complete Works is where you can find that. Um, we did that as a bonus episode of Complete Works. That'll be out on Monday. Yes. Yeah. So sorry and or you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm glad we did because otherwise this episode would be like two hours long. So yeah, it all worked that. out. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's going to be it for this week. Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you'd like to donate to support the show, you can do that at our Kofi page, which is Kofi.com slash Mike and Mike Pods. And if you want merch, we got merch for you on our Redbubble. Go get a t shirt or a mug or stickers or a sweatshirt, whatever you want. We got it. Uh, and that's Mike and Mike Pods at Redbubble.com. Yes, it is. And you can find me online at M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to Mike Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. It's Mike Decretio. Don't forget to rate interview the show on apple podcasts or any other podcast app and if you want to contact us you can tweet at us at mike and mike pod you can find the rest of our podcast on rapture press alongside many other podcasts about kinds of comic books and movie news and all that good stuff uh next week we're doing a mike makes mike watch uh so i'm gonna make mike watch uh 1966's batman the movie featuring Adam West as Batman and Burt Ward as Robin, uh, which uh, is a childhood favorite of mine. And Mike's going to make me watch Brick Mansions, which is not a childhood favorite of his. (laughs) Paul Walker is Brick Mansions. Exactly. Uh, A movie that is uh, the American remake of District B-13. I remember when it came out, and I know nothing about it. (laughs) No, yeah, me neither. I remember uh, going through great lengths to torrent a copy of District B-13 at the time when that came out. Yeah, I think it was just like peak parkour, and I was like, this is cool. But it was really hard to find because it's a French movie. Um, right. So I don't really remember anything about it other than that it's the parkour movie. So I can't imagine Paul Walker doing a lot of parkour. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. I will report back uh, <laughs> next week. Uh, but yeah, so next week, Mike makes Mike watch. In the meantime, uh, The Complete Works uh, just released this episode on Sunshine. The plan was to put out Far North next week. But uh, instead, next week's going to be the Oscars episode. And then it's Far North. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. We don't know why. It's impossible to know in the episode. Yes. Mike just in the episode. Yes. Who, who who could have predicted? Who could have who could have foreseen? <laughs> no, yeah. uh, such a thing happening. Um, <laughs> and that that is going to be the end of this week's episode. Of Mike and I go to the movies. We'll see you on the other side. Yeah.